This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi. Welcome to Blue Research. Knowledge sharing on financial research. Hello and welcome to this Blue Research podcast. The distribution of share of national income to labour versus capital has fallen to historically low levels in several advanced economies, such as the United States and the United Kingdom. Wolamundi believes that the COVID-19 crisis, together with other factors, will trigger a rebalancing in favour of labour over the next two decades. Wolamundi has just published a paper on this subject. It's entitled, Changing Shares of Labour and Capital Incomes, What Implications for Investors? Well, to find out more, I'm joined by the authors of that study, Jean-Jacques Barberis, who is the head of the Institutional and Corporate Clients Division in charge of the ESG business line and member of the Executive Committee. I'm also joined by Pierre Blanchet, the head of Investment Intelligence, and by Théophile Pouget-Abadi from the Business Solutions and Innovation team. Jean-Jacques, let me start by asking you, why are we talking about this today? Thank you very much. I think we're talking about this today because this is a question that is, uh, I would say, very historical, very fundamental. In a way, it is a question that is at the heart of economic theory since the 19th century. And in a way, uh, it's not to be Marxist again that we are uh, touching that question today, but because we do consider that we have reached a point uh, historically speaking, in the history, uh, in the economical history, where we can consider, and one could argue, that uh, the, the breakdown between added value and labor and capital uh, is clearly at a moment where the general overall regime might change. And we do consider this is accelerated by the COVID crisis, and that this is probably one of the most fundamental elements that a long-term investor should take into account when deploying capital over a decade with other very fundamental factors such as inflation. And let me turn to you now, Théophile. Could you please explain for us your definition of labour share and capital share of income? The labour share shows how much national income is distributed to labour versus capital. So it's empirically measured as total compensation of labor over nominal GDP or value added. However, it's important to point out that debates on the measurement of this labor share abound in the academic literature, making it hard to get one, a long-term view, and two, a comparison between different countries, and of course, those two things combined. So for example, total compensation is in itself not clearly defined. How do we include the self-employed? Or how do we compare benefits to workers, such as health insurance? So the structure of economies and economic institutions play a huge and potentially distorting role in the measurement of labor shares. Thanks for that, Théophile. And Pierre, let me turn to you. Up until the 1980s, labor share was considered to be constant over time. Moreover, assuming that labor and capital shares were constant was a useful hypothesis for economists. But this was accurate on a short-term basis, wasn't it, Pierre? Yes, you're absolutely right. And for more than a century, actually, it's been considered as, as a constant. The, the, the breakdown between labor and capital was actually supposedly a, a stylized fact, as uh, Keynes used to call this uh, something that's one of the most surprising but best established fact, actually, 
of economic statistics. And to be honest, there was little explanation on the level. Uh, neither was there any right explanation on the stability of this ratio. But for a long time, economists used to make this hypothesis. It was quite actually useful when you build um, uh, models. And th there are other arguments that uh, over time, you will assume that emerging economies would converge towards uh, uh, advanced economies. And therefore, having a constant labor and capital share of added value was, was a fair assumption. And when you look at the data, actually, you find that it is true uh, on a short-term basis. Uh, this is not moving much, apart from very extreme circumstances, uh, such as uh, uh, World War or, or World War II. Um, but what we notice is that uh, still there's a deviation versus this average, but on a very small scale. So uh, that's why it makes sense to use this as a constant, but it doesn't mean that it cannot move. And that's the whole purpose of our paper, is to highlight that actually since the 90s, studies have shown that in several advanced economies like the US, the labor share of income has fallen and reached a 40-year low. And this is actually consistent with uh, with medium term variability. So that's that's actually not true that it's a constant uh, in all time horizons. And you made a final assumption that capital versus labor share of income tends to revert over the long term. Could you please just tell us a bit more about that, Pierre? Well, it's it's basically a matter of time horizon. Again, you know, we discussed earlier the short term, mid term, and long term. So in the very short term, actually, it's stable. Um, and, but what we show in, in this piece is that if you look at a, a medium-term horizon, 10 to 30 years, actually, this ratio tends to move, and it's trending up or down according to uh, uh, the, the regime we're in. And that's an important f fact that over the long term, we believe there are regimes that define the, re the relationship between labor and capital. And therefore, you see this isolation uh, that is very important because obviously it makes a big difference if you're living in a world where the ratio is very low or very high. Uh, and to show this, we used uh, some of the very long data uh, from the UK and France that shows that actually uh, what I've described, that uh, there's this isolation uh, around very long-term mean. And it's interesting to show uh, that it works uh, very well in both cases for France and the UK. But in the UK, you see a very different levels uh, over time, with, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the change due to the big conflicts. Interestingly enough, in the case of France, uh, this, uh, the data seems to coincide, i.e. that over 100 years, you find the same average. So basically, in 2020, you have pretty much the same ratio as in 1900, which I think is quite fascinating. Um, so we, we believe it's a mean reverting process on a medium term, which is a 10 to 30 year horizon. And Théophile, what are the main drivers of change in medium term share of income distribution? So as, as Pierre and Jean-Jacques were mentioning, the jury is still out among economists to try to explain the fluctuation or lack thereof of the labor share of income. But as you rightly point out, there are several drivers that are often identified in the literature. And most of these drivers actually interact with one another, with one another and any analysis becomes complex due to the fact that more often than not, these drivers push simultaneously in opposite directions. The first one is globalization. So increasing globalization has led 
capital abundant economies to specialize in the production of capital intensive goods and on the other hand labor intensive economies to do just the opposite but global competition among the labor force can also drive down the bargaining power of labor due to the threat of offshoring a second factor that's usually brought up is technology and that works through two main channels technological progress in capital intensive sectors and the growing automation of routine tasks which displaces workers but again the impacts are not straightforward and numerous studies have shown that sometimes technology has a negative impact on the labor share while others have shown just the opposite and that is because in fact technology can also increase the labor share by raising output productivity and hence wages demography can also play a role in determining the distribution of income between capital and labor and namely through migration and the composition of the population or the age pyramid so for example a rise in the population via migration can increase the labor share as there are more working age people whereas a rise in the natural increase of the population so more births can decrease the labor share through a larger constituents of dependence and the fourth factor that's usually brought up is institutions and there are two types of economic institutions that are particularly involved labor market institutions and product market institutions so for the former the effects as we have seen can be ambiguous a decline in the unionization may lead to lower social bargaining power but a policy designed to raise wages may increase the labor share and the decline in workers power in the US coincides with the dominance of shareholder return in the corporate governance paradigm and that is also mentioned as a key institutional factor well, thanks for that, Théophile. Uh, Jean-Jacques, the paper highlights the relationship between labour share of income and inequalities. Could you elaborate on that? First, to elaborate uh, on one Théophile just mentioned at the end, which is uh, the importance of the role of the institutions uh, in the balance uh, between labour and capital. Uh, I think uh, here it's interesting to read uh, Marx again. Huh? Uh, this is uh, exactly what uh, he was highlighting that historically uh, at the end of the day uh, what uh, is the main component uh, of the breakdown of added value uh, between labor and capital uh, is basically where the power uh, <laughs> lies uh, in a way between labor and capital and in a way you could find very high correlations uh, between the level uh, i would say for instance uh, of the people percentage of the people of the workers uh, that are um, linked to a union uh, at the end of the day and uh, what would be uh, ultimately uh, i would say the share uh, between labor and, uh, and capital this is just a remark uh, elaborating on last point uh, mentioned by, by theophile when it comes to the relationship between labor share of income and inequality rise i think there are two movements that are uh, important to have in mind uh, but first clearly uh, the sh uh, i would say the level of inequality uh, in uh, the given society largely depends uh, from the evolution uh, of uh, the labor share uh, of income uh, trend in the in the in the long term meaning uh, if there is too much concentration uh, of the added value uh, on capital and not enough on labor that ultimately leads to a rise of inequalities within a given society and uh, you have a second effect uh, which might be, I would say, uh, the backlash uh, of the first one, uh, which is in case uh, the level of inequalities reach a certain point, which is, of course, very hard to determine, there uh, this could have an impact also massive 
uh, on the distribution of the added value between labor and capital because at some point of inequalities you can imagine that the balance of power will change and that the institution effect that Theo was mentioning uh, is rebalanced uh, in favor of labor vis-a-vis -vis capi vis -vis capital uh, to ultimately lead uh, to a new equilibrium where the level of inequalities becomes acceptable in a given society. And Jean-Jacques, you think that the COVID-19 crisis will trigger a rebalancing in favor of labor. Why? I think here uh, you have um, different, uh, I would say, trends uh, that needs to be taken uh, into account. Uh, if basically you are buying the story, notably, that uh, the COVID crisis will probably not put into cause globalization at large, but nevertheless would put an end to, uh, I would say, endless deglobalization and that there will be uh, more, I would say, relocalization uh, of uh, some jobs in particular, then you can consider that the COVID crisis will lead to an end of, I would say, cheap uh, emerging market labor competition. And therefore, this is a very powerful argument to consider that this could increase the part of the added value that goes uh, to labor factor in developed countries and Western uh, liberal democracies in particular. This is, I would say, relatively easy to understand. By definition, it's far more difficult for the labor factor, I would say, to defend its cause, if you allow me the expression, and therefore to be well retributed in terms of, I would say, added share of the added value in a given country, if there is worldwide pressure on labor prices, on labor costs. Uh, and if you consider that the COVID crisis uh, is going to influence that, therefore, one could advocate that this will, at the end of the day, probably increase the part of the added value that goes to labor into Western democracies. So that, that's one effect that uh, we believe uh, the COVID crisis uh, is embedding. Uh, and the second one uh, is uh, coming back to uh, the uh, explanation that Theophile uh, was giving uh, on institutions. Uh, you can consider that because the COVID crisis is already leading uh, to a very deep social crisis in a number of Western liberal democracies, that this could have ultimately political consequences meaning a new policy mix, a new, I would say, institutional equilibrium that has the capacity to favor uh, labor over capital going forward. A, a very good example of that, uh, for instance, uh, is to look at uh, what was the program uh, of the elected president in the US, Joe Biden. We will see if he has the capacity uh, to implement that fiscal program or not. But within that program, the fiscal part of it is clearly I would say, in the direction of a new breakdown of value added in favor of labor uh, at federal level in the United States. Look, for instance, uh, at the idea of a minimum wage at 15, uh, of, uh, 15, uh, of, 15, uh, of $15. So I think here uh, it's really because, again, one trend, which is potential, I would say, effect on globalization and lower competition on labor costs 
first and second impact on institutional equilibrium, that could potentially uh, be a trigger for rebalancing in favor of labor. And the speed of this rebalancing is crucial, isn't it, Jean-Jacques? Yeah, I'm going to be quick on that one. I think basically you have two scenarios, huh? uh, the, depending on the two uh, elements I just mentioned. Either you consider uh, this, uh, it's going to be through a progressive adjustment uh, due to very structural factors, such as, again, globalization trends that is being put into cause, less pressure on labor costs, et cetera, et cetera. And in a way, therefore, you have uh, a new rebalancing that is progressive. Uh, or, uh, and, or and, it can be both, uh, this can be uh, through a shock, a uh, shock that can be mostly provided uh, by, uh, I would say, uh, strong political evolutions uh, that could lead uh, to a very strong rebalancing that can happen much quicker than expected uh, by, the, by the market. And in a way, I think um, a number of analysts are probably, I would say, underestimating the speed of this type of adjustment. Uh, but historically, for instance, if you look at what happened at the beginning of the 80s, let's say in five, six years at the beginning of the 80s, uh, you had a massive shock in a way, a total change in the progressivity of taxes in a number of Western countries that happened extremely quickly massively in favor uh, of uh, the capital factor at the time. The one could advocate that this could happen, I would say, as quick as that in favor of labor, due notably to the fact that uh, the rise of inequalities in a number of Western democracies is a given fact and is going to reach a certain level uh, after, the cri after the COVID crisis. That could be, I would say, the sparkle uh, to make that change happening. And Pierre, just turning to you, from an investor perspective, why is the share of national income distribution an important metric to follow? Well, it's very important uh, for the reasons that Jean-Jacques just mentioned, is that um, in an economy where you have prolonged imbalances uh, of uh, uh, capital and, and labour share, you, you can see uh, significant political and social instability, which means that the economic potential and the economic growth uh, is is below uh, expectations or just not achievable. So uh, that's one factor. And, and, and the second point is, uh, as Jean-Jacques mentioned as well, is the speed of adjustment that is crucial for investors. Um, because if it's a, a quick and brutal rebalancing, that would significantly undermine corporate margins and profits, could undermine corporate debt sustainability with this, obviously also, an anchor inflation expectations, which could be a headache for central banks. And overall, you can have a situation where a big spike in labor costs, uh, like a shock in that regard, could be a risk-off scenario for financial markets. So that's, that's a serious topic that investors should look at. Uh, the other alternative, which is a smooth and mid-term adjustment, that's kind of a win-win situation, I would say. Uh, for investors, because uh, you can increase actually the middle wage uh, purchasing power that enhance actually uh, consumption, which, which is good in, in, in service and cons consumer-led uh, growth models as we have in the West, uh, for instance, but also in Japan and now in China. And that could trigger rebalancing uh, uh, in a smooth manner with basically a model which, which, uh, which brings to uh, higher sustainability of growth, less social tensions, higher visibility for investments as well. 
So that increases actually uh, the expected uh, risk-adjusted return, higher return actually for investors uh, for a lower level, level of risk. So that's that's quite uh, that's quite important indeed. And Pierre, what are the impacts on their portfolios then? So I think the impact on portfolio is is very much linked to what Jean-Jacques was mentioning, is that today market participants are not assuming any substantial rebalancing in favor of, uh, of uh, capital and uh, in favor of, of labor, sorry. And most investors believe that what uh, uh, is called the revival of the workers' power is nearly impossible. And history shows that it's not true and that uh, from time to time we can be surprised by this. So this there's a huge asymmetry in between what investors and market participants um, believe and what actually can happen. Even if it doesn't happen, the asymmetry seems to us uh, too uh, significant. So from an investor's point of view, we think you should do really two things. First, include this parameter in asset allocation models, more for the long-term horizon, which basically means that one should assume a higher inflation, uh, uh, which goes very much with obviously uh, a greater share of, of labor, and that's what we need to do on the, on the 10-year horizon, 10-15 year horizon for the model of asset allocation. And second, um, to take into account this whole process via uh, ESG investing in sector, country allocation, and all the thematics that are around obviously uh, uh, income inequality and, and the thematic of, uh, of uh, the S in the ESG. So at least for those two reasons, uh, this is a very important topic with uh, important investment implication going forward. Well, thank you very much indeed for sharing that with us, Pierre Blanchet, Jean-Jacques Barbaris, and Théophile Pouget-Abadi. And thank you very much to you for listening. Please do join us again soon for another Blue Research podcast. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.